Hello and welcome everyone to episode 100 of the N60 Clubcast, the official podcast of the N60 community. This podcast is recorded live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the official N60 Twitch channel and is available to stream on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So get locked in to get your eardrums ripped and torn, torn, teared something like that with some sweet sweet podcast words my name is dennis i am the uh the social media i guess i guess i'm so specialist at this point i don't know what's going on with the titles <laughs> and with me as always is ivan your official title is papito true true and uh yeah. and you're my poppy right <laughs> yes sir and i can't believe that 100 episodes and we still haven't been sued by nintendo for using that music so we're working on it that's that's the big <laughs> goal right I, I think it's when you made yeah. it right like if if Nintendo notices, then uh, then we're good, pretty much, right? That's kind of where yeah. where you land in there. <laughs> no such thing as bad publicity, right? Exactly, right? Can you imagine? That's that? only been said by people who don't <laughs> know what bad publicity really looks like. <laughs> that would be me. To be honest, though, if you kind of go over the the past like year and a half, <laughs> we kind of experienced quite a bit of that. So we definitely know, but I think we like to pretend, right? There's no such thing as bad publicity. Uh, Today's special guest is, okay, I'm going to say this totally wrong, so please correct me if I do say this wrong. I, I Googled it, I LinkedIn'd it, I went to Twitter, everything. It's fine. Senior Vice President of Global Marketing and Communications at Bethesda, Pete Hines. You nailed it. Let's hey, go. how are Let's you go. guys? Congrats, first of all, before we go any further on 100 episodes, that's that's awesome. You guys should be yeah. super proud. That That's a, that's a lot of podcasts. It is. Uh, every Thursday... Uh, I think we've, we've probably missed like two or three weeks here and there for random things. But, uh, you know, the goal in the beginning was literally to get to seven episodes because we saw this stat that said most podcasts only last seven episodes. So we were like, if we can do seven episodes, we're already like ahead of the game. And, you, you crushed know. it. You destroyed it. Congratulations. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for being here on episode 100. Um, of course. It's even more special that, that you're here chatting with us. Happy yeah. to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah, it was a choice between uh, uh, between you and um, the guy who does the voice on Halo. And uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we couldn't get him he, because he was on Cameo. He was way too busy for us. So maybe the problem was you you asked him, "Hey, you're the guy who does the voice from Halo. Would you like? Did you actually use his name, or did you just say, <laughs> "Hey, guy who does the voice in Halo, do you want to come on?" That's the point. <laughs> I <didn't> actually, because <laughs> I, I don't remember what his name is either. So I'm not bailing you out here. I, I can't remember. <laughs> I think yeah. his name is Halo Guy. Yeah, I think it's his name, right? It's just Halo mm -hmm. Guy. I mean, to be honest, if I was him, I, I would just go by that all the everywhere, right? I would have that as my Twitter handle, <laughs> as my Twitch, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's uh, the Halo Make it guy. easier, right? That's how you know me. I'm the Halo Guy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, thanks again for being on. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we're, I mean, I'm sure Ivan is as well, right? But I mean, huge, huge fan of Bethesda and like everything you guys have been doing out there. I mean, you know, I've been playing your games since your games is since forever. I mean, I remember the first like real like high powered PC I built was for Oblivion, um, and it mm -hmm. still didn't run well <laughs> because my computer was just not that great. But I mean, yeah, I've been a huge fan uh, for the longest time. You know, I'm. That's I'm awesome. Well, we appreciate the board. support. Yeah. Uh, it's it's great. Um, so you know, really excited to talk to you. Um, we got a lot of questions for you, a lot of things to talk about. Um, first okay. off, though, folks, for those who are listening or watching live on Twitch, uh, we do have a giveaway. Hit up uh, exclamation point giveaway in the chat, and we're giving away some uh, some game codes, uh, courtesy of our friends here at Bethesda. Um, but we're going to be talking about a lot of things here. We're going to be bugging Pete with a lot of really wonky questions, uh, talking about QuakeCon, 
uh, dirty keyboards, all kinds of stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. you guys are in for a really, really good one. Uh, so Pete, can you just quickly give us a rundown of, of what you do at Bethesda? Just like what your day-to-day is, what you're in charge of? Uh, well, as you said, I, I'm, I'm the global head of marketing and, and comms, which I, I have been since I uh, first joined Bethesda in 1999. Um, please don't tell me what grade you were in or how old you were when I started at this company, if, if you would be so kind. Um, I've been here ever, ever since. Um, I started when Bethesda was tiny. I mean, we were you know, 20 people total, including devs and, and everybody else in sort of Bethesda proper. You know, we fit essentially in one little hallway in in one floor of the building. Um, and so as a result, because I was in on the ground floor, I got involved in a lot of other things that weren't exactly marketing and communications because like it's a small shop. Everybody pitches in and does whatever. So as a result, I, I have um, had the pleasure of getting involved in a lot of things, whether it's playtesting things or business development or uh, I don't know, you name it. Um, uh, and I'm still here all these years later. How did you actually get that job? Um, I had reached out about a position they had available. Um, I mean, if I'm being blunt, because I was looking for something else to do. I was a director of marketing at the American Association of Blood Banks. And after about <laughs> a month, I realized I could not and my soul was going to tear in two if I did that <laughs> for an extended period of time. And I reached out to Bethesda, but I don't even remember what the role was anymore. But uh, a guy by the name of Todd Vaughn reached out and said, hey, would love to talk to you about a position we're looking to fill to run our, you know, to be a director of our marketing and PR. And at the time I was writing for a gaming site, which isn't around anymore, but I was sort of doing that on the side just for fun. And I had background doing a lot of marketing PR stuff and sort of combined my two jobs into one. And uh, here I am. And Todd Vaughn is still with us as well. He's our senior VP of uh, over all of our uh, development. So we're both still there all these years later. I wonder what that blood bank is up to now. (laughs) They're still around talking about apheresis and stem cell research (laughs) and, you know, continuing education. Just not my thing. Yeah, blood bank blood bank marketing sounds a lot harder than video game marketing for some reason. It's exactly as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess the next the follow up question to that is a little the follow up question to that is a little bit random. Uh, okay. I know your official title is the senior vice president of global or marketing and communications, but everyone calls you Uncle Pete. Why? Why does everyone call you Uncle Pete? Um, I. Th- I think that goes all the way back to some years ago when I was on. Um, I it was I think it was right after a QuakeCon, and I would go down to Virginia Beach and play in this big soccer tournament down there. And I was down there with my wife, and um, I started posting these um, like summer fun tips. I was just goofing around and having fun, um, and uh, I couldn't figure out what to call them, and I decided. Uh, that everybody needs a cool, fun uncle. Both my parents are only parents. So I never actually had an uncle. And I was like, you know what? Everybody deserves a cool, fun uncle. My brother is an amazing uncle to, to my two boys. And so I just said, hey, here's Uncle Pete's summer fun tips. And it sort of <laughs> stuck and blew up from there, I guess. Is it cool if me and Dennis call you Theo Pete? See? Me and Theo. Great, perfect. <laughs> Uh, um, so 
What are uh, so you've you mentioned that you were at you've been at Bethesda for uh, I'm gonna say a long time, but you've been there a a a, a good amount of time, right? A a, mm-hmm. a, a great amount of time. Uh, what are some of your favorite past projects that that you've worked on? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, literally every game this company has shipped over the last twenty years, good, bad, and different. Whether it was your favorite game ever or you hated it more than anything you've ever played, I worked on that in some way, shape, or form. Um, and so, you know, you spend a lot of a lot of time working on a project, you know, start to finish. It's sometimes four years, five years, or even even longer before you ship it. So, in some ways, they're kind of like your children. So it's it's hard to pick between your favorite kids. Um, you know, different ones have different um, special meaning for me. Morrowind. Um, just being, I mean, honestly, it it's the reason why Bethesda still exists. When I joined Bethesda, it was really? not um, humming along a, as a well-oiled machine. It was uh, right after Zenimax had acquired it. It was essentially about to go under. And uh, oh, that's crazy. so, you know, we were running lean and, and we really needed that game to, to hit and to do well. And it did. Um, so, you know, I have really fond memories of that just because like the untold number of hours I poured into it. Like I wrote that entire manual. Um, I edited the entire strategy guide. If you've ever seen the Morrowind Prophecy strategy guide, I was the editor in chief for that thing. While I was also doing marketing and PR and, uh, you know, events and community, I was the only marketing person in the, it was me and a marketing artist. That was it. That was the whole department. So, you know, that that's special just because you can't. You can't go through something like that and not have it leave a lasting impact on oh, you. Yeah, for sure. Just the size of that challenge. Um, you know, Oblivion was really fun because it was when we broke through to the console side and we took a chance at like, hey, we want to make it for this new uh, console that Microsoft's making called the Xbox. And we think we could, you know, actually technically get it to run on that console. And so bringing that to a whole a new audience was really big and scary. And you know, you go through, you know, whether it's some of the arcane stuff that we worked on or, you know, before we started the podcast, we were talking about machine games and the Wolfenstein games. Like yeah. I have really fond memories and, you know, working with devs you'd never worked before and sort of learning how each other operates and figuring out um, how to make each other better and, and and to do things that are really cool and fun and awesome, you know, in each and every one of those is is special in their own way. That's crazy. Um, How long does it take to write a game manual? That sounds like <laughs> it would just take like my entire life. I, 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 a couple of weeks at most. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, look, it, nowadays, like it doesn't. Like, when's the last time you got a game that had a manual in it? That's a that's a relic of a bygone era, and one that mm-hmm. honestly, it's a little sad, right? We used to love doing our manuals because we would kind of do them in world and it, you know, yeah, yeah. we break down for you for more when like what the different classes of, of spells did um, or, or combat skills or whatever. It was, it was sort of fun to dig into all of those things. Um, but yeah, that one, I, I think we threw together in a couple of weeks where it was just Todd. I think Todd one day was like, yeah. hey, I, I really need you to do the manual. And I was like, I've, never written a manual what do i do and he's like here's roughly what i wanted in you know what what i wanted it and what i wanted to cover and i was like okay and i just started typing and you know we'll work with folks on the dev team like hey does this seem right or am i explaining this right and taking screenshots to show off ui and uh but you know it's it's one of the things i've really enjoyed about this company is being able to literally say there isn't a part of this that i haven't had some involvement in 
um, whatever it is from writing the manuals to, you know, to, to everything else. And you, ha you have a background in writing too, correct? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, my, my degree was in um, marketing, but even when I was at Wake Forest, um, you know, I had a number of different jobs and one of which was working, um, not surprisingly, in the sports information department, which, I mean, it's basically like the PR and marketing department for the athletic uh, programs at, at Wake Forest. And so I was helping write, you know, the, the uh, programs for, you know, for different sports and, and writing press releases and, and fact sheets and stuff like that. So I, I had you know, a variety of different kinds of experience. And you figure out pretty quick, like you might know how to write, but I bet you don't know how to write a manual because technical writing is very different than like yeah. creative writing or press release writing. You know, every every one requires a slightly different mentality and approach. And so it, in part, it was it was fun to do that just to understand the difference between, you know, when you're when you're writing for this purpose versus you're writing for for some other purpose. And during that time when you were in college writing and all that, were you, were you already playing video games? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When when did For you sure. start? When did you first start playing video games? Probably when I was like <laughs> ten. Um, my dad, again, this predates all of you. You can all Google this, all of you watching Twitch, because I assume ninety-nine percent of you aren't gonna know what I'm talking about. But my first computer was called a Vic twenty. Um it didn't have a hard drive. It was just a keyboard. Um, I remember the Christmas that I got a cassette drive to save programs on it. And there used to be a magazine called Run Magazine that my dad subscribed uh, to for my brother and I. And it used to come with code in the pages. They would print little programs for various things. Now, I always skipped over anything that wasn't a video game. And my brother and I would sit down with our crappy typing skills uh, you know, we were 11, 12, 13, and we would take turns typing in the code for these games just to get them to run so we could play, you know, stupid little games. And then we get syntax errors and have to go back through our code and figure out where our typos were. But like that was my first foray in the games. And then shortly after that, I figured out um, that you could get a modem and connect to other people. And like, I remember a, a good friend of mine at, at uh, that I went to high school with named Tom Trenton opened me up to the world of like BBSs and connecting to a BBS uh, with your modem to like download stuff. And he would get me copies. Of, so when I got to wake, I was somewhat savvy. One of my jobs was actually, I was a computer lab manager back when nobody really had their own PCs. You had to go to the, to the labs that the university had. And so I would manage those. And while I was in there, I played, you know, a lot of art of war and space word ho and uh all kinds of stuff yeah so up on the stream right now for the folks uh i got a photo of the vic 20 it's a commodore so yeah this is what we used to use well not what we but th this is what people used to use back in the day folks when you wanted to play video games the vic 20 was what you got when you really wanted a commodore 64 but your parents <laughs> didn't want to spend that much yeah. money so you got a vic 20 instead that's what i got <laughs> It's yeah. actually funny because um I uh I my my first PC game ever was Doom running on MS DOS, and my dad mm -hmm. taught me how to like to do all the commands so I can get the game to run, and um I like I I still remember that time fondly like he just comes home and says hey here's a computer I'm like what the heck is this thing he's like type this yep. stuff in and this game pops up and I'm like all right and then that was it I was just a watch I just I was hooked that's ever it since then. yep uh, C C drive run Doom is that is that what it was. Yeah, I, I don't remember it was like C drive I don't remember the run commands. like that C drive <laughs> I believe that's what it was the command 
If somebody knows, um, please tell us, because I'm really curious of what the actual commands would be if you were yeah. to throw in like a floppy. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting uh, story. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure like your you know your parents didn't get you that computer thinking, yeah, this is gonna. You know, help yeah. help little Petey here learn all about video games and honestly, <laughs> it, it's its main purpose was to replace a typewriter oh, because yeah. before then I was doing all of my papers on a typewriter and using whiteout, which again most of you probably have never used a bottle of whiteout in your life, but um, you know, typing stuff out and whiteout and all of that was a nightmare. And so my dad was like, Hey, you can do this and it'll um make it easier and uh, so that was really what they wanted it for. It just as you all well know, you give a kid a computer, if it's capable of running games, you've sort of lost them <laughs> for the primary purpose of that machine at that point. It's games, big gap, everything else. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually how I started playing video games and, or PC games and getting into computers is because um, I had asked my dad for a Nintendo and he's already sick of watching me play on the Atari like all day long. And he's like, this, this is making you stupid. I'm going to buy you a computer so you can actually learn <laughs> something useful. And the first thing I did was I went over to my friend's house who I knew was a PC gamer. And I was like, I want to play that game you showed me. And that game yep. was Wolf Wolfenstein. Mm -hmm. and, and he's like, all right, let me see your PC. And he's like, all right, you're going to need to get some RAM and yada, yada. So I was like, all right, let me get some RAM. And I was tinkering with it. And... Yeah, sure enough, like that made me a even bigger gamer. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, uh, uh, what, were, what were some of your favorite video games growing up? Uh, well, the one I remember having, the first one I remember having a real impact on me was, uh, I think it's Ultima 3 uh, for the Commodore oh, 64. Wow. Um, my brother and I were friends with the kid across the street whose parents gave him a Commodore 64. And so we used to go over to there to Cliff's house and we would all, me and my friend and my brother and, 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 and this guy would play Ultima together and we would take turns play who was playing. And then somebody was always on graph paper duty because back then games didn't chart your progress through a dungeon. So like you had to old school it. So somebody was in charge of graphing out the dungeon as you explored it. So we could figure out where the hell we were and how to get out. And we'd had pages and pages of these uh, of these maps <laughs> on graph paper but i you know that was my first real uh, intro to to role-playing games and um loved playing that and and stuff like archon i don't know if you remember archon it was like battle chess um and then it, the first game that i remember like really grabbing hold of me in like a dangerous way were things like the original civ um where like that was the first game i ever stayed up all night uh, accidentally playing because I was in total like one more turn mode and the next thing I know I was still at work it's like 7 a.m. at the time I was working at a Catholic high school this is after college oh, wow. and I look up and see the janitor uh, at the door and I figure he's locking up for the day and come to realize like no it's morning and everybody's about to show up for school and I'm exactly where I was sitting you know 12 14 hours ago when i started <laughs> playing this game and like i'm still wearing the same clothes so i had to run to the parking lot drive home oops sorry had to run home to um to change clothes and take a shower and come back and pretend like i had not stayed up all night playing a video game That's um, i'm sure you're and uh, and then the big one for me the other ones you know i was really into strategy stuff so i remember that you know the original um warcraft and command and conquer mm -hmm. uh, was the gold box a and d uh D, D game so like Secret of Silver Blades and Pools of Radiance and um, all of those were like 
totally my jam, you know, creating your little party. I always named my characters after Tolkien characters, right? So my wizard was always Gandalf, and I always had a ranger named Aragorn. Um, <laughs> so uh, the, the, the gold box games, I, I really have a fond, um, fond memory of. Uh, and, then, and then XCOM uh, was my first real, like, super obsession where I just kept playing and playing it until I finished that game. Uh, and then figured out there was this thing called the internet where you could look things mm -hmm. up to figure out if there was another sequel. That was literally how I discovered the internet was trying to figure out if there was a sequel to XCOM and discover that where I worked, the library had access to the internet. And I started doing searches to see if there was a sequel coming out. Uh, and all these years later, here I am part of the industry. Yeah. It all led you to here on the 100th episode of the N60 podcast. <laughs> this all exact moment. It's uh, all been building up to this. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, so it's, it's really funny that you mentioned, uh, well, it's funny, but it's, 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 it's cool that you mentioned your like history and like PC gaming because um, for me, for the longest time, like Bethesda, it, like all these, all these um, just, uh, I guess, uh, I guess developers, right? Um, have always been like, in my heart, right? Like primarily like, a PC centric, um, like just development studio or groups, sure. right? That, um, that's, that's what they were known from. Yeah. That's where they, they made their reputations and, uh, and yeah, they've expanded out from there, but they are still, yeah. you know, in some ways, part of that old school PC development, yeah. uh, community that really got things going. Yeah. And like, I, I, I kind of feel like that's like not, that doesn't really exist as much. Right. Like, I mean, you have to make games for everything, right? You you can't not do it for the Switch or for the Xbox or the PS4, right? Or the PS5. It just it has to happen, right? But like, it's it's really it's really cool to like. I don't know like what it is or like how the way you guys position it, and maybe this is like kind of your doing, but like even though you're showing off, you know, uh, I don't know, Fallout Four or something, right? And you're showing it off on a console, it still feels to me like this is for me, right? This is for me as primarily PC gamer, and I don't know how you guys kind of do that. If, if you and maybe this is like a like too like big brain <laughs> for this early in the morning. But like, how do you like ensure that when you're talking about these games that you're still kind of like, you know, catering to this demographic or that demographic or this subset of gamers or that subset of gamers? Uh, it's a good question. So so first of all, you know, that that phenomenon you experience of like, hey, I feel like this is for me as a PC gamer, like full disclosure, the credit for that stuff really goes to our developers, right? Because uh -huh. uh, many of them, to your point, come from that age in that era of like playing games on PC or learning to code on a PC. And like that's still being really important to them. Like, yeah, I wanted to work on all these different platforms and run great but like the pc is like a special a special thing uh to me as far as talking to them like uh, sometimes it's just sort of the avenue right like um but generally speaking we just focus on like the game like what's the game what are we making why do we think it's fun we right, right. Um, you know, look, I remember when we tried Morrowind, you know, going back to like, what do I remember? I remember going when we were working on Morrowind and we were told categorically by any number of folks whose names or companies I will not mention <laughs> that this was never going to work. That, mm. that Morrowind and the Elder Scrolls series was a hardcore PC game. Console gamers were not going to get it. They, it's not something they wanted. Too much dialogue. It was too open-ended. They wouldn't know where to go and what to do. Because let's be honest, if you, if you think back, there was a very, very long period of time. Well, relatively speaking, maybe not that long. But yeah. where consoles and video games in general were considered toys. 
right? right. That's where you found them. And that's what they got treated as they got yeah. treated as toys. They were not considered to be a serious form of entertainment in any way, shape or, or form. Right. I remember going to buy a lot of my stuff at the Toys R Us because that was who had yeah, the most game stuff because it was toys. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it you have seen that shift where now people no longer think of like, well, PC is where you game and, and, and on console, it's yeah. really more about toys or that's for kids like no it's not like games are games and yeah. um people who like games like games and you know you can be an xbox gamer a, a playstation gamer a nintendo gamer a pc gamer and like the same kinds of experiences or the same kinds of things or they could be wholly different from somebody who also considers themselves yeah. the same kind of gamer as you if you're a pc gamer and you like this kind of stuff like oh i only play indie things and small little quirky stuff and early access and somebody else says nope i only play online competitive shooters and i don't have time for any of that like it that I think that's the great thing about gaming is it doesn't matter what you're into or what platform you play on. Like there's literally something for everybody out there, um, no matter what your your preferences are. And I honestly I think that's that's great to see gaming doing that and that's even awesome, pushing yeah. the boundaries further of what that looks like. Um, you know that a game like Fortnite is platform agnostic. Like you're a Fortnite player if you only ever play on your phone, and you're a Fortnite player if you only ever play on PC. And that's the way it should be. Okay, here's a you trick hear that, question. Dennis? You can't make fun of me anymore <laughs> for only playing Super Mega Baseball. <laughs> I, I I just make fun of Ivan because he's he only plays like one game ever. But I mean, that's I mean that's totally cool, right? I mean like I, I know people yep. who like who literally spend their entire like almost like gaming careers and they and like all they play is 2K, right? They just play NBA 2K and that's and that's their game and they mm -hmm. they'll buy a new console for that game and then that's it. Um, but how about your question for you, Pete? Okay. Where do waifu gacha games fall into this gamer's realm? And have Where you tried do, any? Sorry, say that again? <laughs> okay. Um, I might be getting a little too, 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 too in the weeds here. Uh, Possibly, since yeah. I just asked you to repeat that. Yeah. Uh, so where do the anime waifu, like, RNG gacha games fall into this? If you know what those are. Vaguely, okay. yes. <laughs> and honestly, I have no idea because I've never played one and... Like, it's just not my thing. Like, I had to throw it in there. So I don't, they're not really on my <laughs> radar and I don't, I think they're games. Like, I think there's if some people think then. they're games, then they're games. Yeah. We need to get and some kind of And this also makes on. fun of me because I play a baseball gotcha game on my phone. He does. <laughs> okay, so, so if you don't know what gotcha is, gotcha is basically that whole, you know, I want to get this character, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna put money into basically what's a RNG box with a very low percentage, and if I get my character, then I'm cool, and if not, I'm spending another couple hundred dollars. So mm -hmm. Ivan would make fun of me for playing these like anime games on my phone, and then he's like, "Hey, I started playing this really cool baseball game on my Android, <laughs> and I can like roll for baseball cards." And like Ivan, you're literally <laughs> playing the same thing, except the anime waifus are real life baseball players. The uh, same thing. <laughs> well, look, like the parallel to that for me is. Yeah actual sports cards right like yeah. how is that any different than me ripping boxes or cases of yeah. soccer cards because i'm trying to get you know christian pulisic cards like it's literally no different except the stuff that i'm opening is tangible and in my hand versus not but like the the power of that in a lot of ways is the same right when you get it when you hit the thing and yeah. you open the thing that you've been desperately searching for that feeling uh, that emotion yeah. is the same whether it's a card in your hand or a thing on the screen or the you know whatever it is like that's still a powerful a powerful moment yeah i uh, i love baseball cards and um 
I stumbled across your Instagram, which looks like it's recently created. There's only two posts on there. Well, uh, yeah, I, I've had it forever and I've never used it because <laughs> every time I post on social media, the conversation, whether it's my personal account or not, it immediately gets turned to work. And but yeah. I just went to the national. I just went to the big sports card and memorabilia show up in Chicago and you know, was talking to people about my collection. I have a huge U.S. soccer collection, um, one of the nicer ones probably in, in the world. And, and so many people were like, oh, my God, you have to share this collection. This is incredible. I was showing them a few <laughs> cards that I brought. And I was like, OK, OK, fine, 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 fine. I'll give it a try. So literally in the last week, I started posting a few things because I was getting hounded into you have to share your Christian Pulisic collection yeah. and let everybody see your cards. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I was watching the videos uh, this morning, and I I love unboxing. So keep it up, man. I I hope you turn into like a just like an unboxing Instagram account. We'll see. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, I'm, I'm gonna throw it up on the stream for those who want to check it out real quick. So this is it. How, how, I, how did I, you get started with card collecting? I'll hold that little login. Um, my roots in card collecting actually go back to Cal Ripken. Uh, when I was a kid probably like sixth grade or seventh grade, whatever age I would have been. Uh, I had a friend who had a birthday party at the minor league baseball team in Charlotte, the Charlotte O's, which then was the minor league affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. And Cal Ripken, if you don't know who Cal Ripken is, I'm not going to bother explaining, but he's Iron like Man. one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Um, Play, was playing for the Charlotte O's. And we actually got to walk through the dugout, a bunch of little kids with our little Charlotte O's pennants, and you got to walk through the dugout and get the players to sign. So I actually got to meet, like, 17-year-old Cal Ripken on his way to the majors and ultimately, like, Hall of Fame career. And he hit, like, a home run that game and made some amazing plays. And I was like, this guy's amazing. Who is he? And I started collecting Cal Ripken cards when I was in college. I was like, I'm getting every Cal Ripken card ever created, which spoiler alert, he has like 25,000 cards and I'm not <laughs> even going to come close to collecting every Cal Ripken card ever printed. But I started then I started in college, just like collecting baseball and even just like wacky stuff. Like I have, <laughs> I have a mostly complete yo MTV raps card set. No way. I have like <laughs> Looney Tunes base. Like I, we just uh, a couple of buddies and of uh, mine and I were sort of in So we, football and some hockey and then i took a long break um and got back into it probably five years or so ago because um i was like oh soccer is becoming this big thing and like back then i've played yeah. soccer since i could walk basically um and uh, i was like oh soccer's a thing and like well christian Pulisic was one of my favorite players i followed his career since he was playing for like the u.s um, youth teams and uh, so I started collecting his cards and then other Americans who came in and um, yeah now it's just a super fun hobby and um, I don't know way that I enjoy sort of extending my love of soccer and, and the US or Arsenal I have I have some Arsenal cards I don't, I don't collect a ton of them um, but uh, yeah it's a it's a fun way to enjoy the sport out of and I love how Card collecting became really popular again during the pandemic. I, I hate that I can't get cards anymore, but I love that there's right. more people collecting. You know, I think it's it's a great hobby. And like you said, it's like the thrill of just opening that pack and finding something that you've been searching for. Like, mm -hmm. it's an awesome feeling. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, Pete, and, and, and we were going to ask this like later on, but we were actually going to ask you like, what's up with your Twitter bio? Like I totally get it, right? Like you'll you'll you know, I don't know, 
try to tweet about some cards and people start asking about all kinds of random stuff about work, right? Like how, on a scale like one to 10, how the, how annoying is that? <laughs> like, I can't imagine it's, it's fun, right? Um, it's less annoying than it used to be because I spent a healthy amount of time um, uh, figuring out how to deal with it. Like it, it's it's very hard to explain unless you've had to experience what it's like to have um, untold number of people only treat you as the job that you do. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, I, you know, if I post something about, you know, my, my wife and I um, are big uh, uh, believers in helping with uh, adopting and fostering dogs. So we mm -hmm. foster dogs when they're too young to be adopted out until they're old enough for somebody. And we fostered for years and years. And I'll post pictures of, you know, puppies that we're fostering and, you know, get snarky comments about why aren't you fixing this bug or why aren't you doing that? Or um, so it took me, honestly, a while to sort of come to peace and and figure out how to separate those things because honestly it is super frustrating like if if people feel so entitled or empowered to say i'm not allowed to do anything that isn't the job that i have um you know i can't post about and by the way it's not everybody like there's lots of fans that i've gotten to meet and who are sure. awesome about it. i met some of them at the national um when I was there last week, like people who know what it is I do for a living, but are totally willing to just talk. I mean, don't get me wrong. They always sneak a question in about like, <laughs> Hey, when are we going to like, when are right. we going to hear more about Ghostwire? Or when's the, you know, when are we going to hear more about Starfield? Um, but it's, it, it's nice to, to meet folks who um, understand what I do or share that passion, but are willing to um, interact about anything else. Right. right, I, right. Like I said, I, I love soccer. So I like, talking about the U.S. matches or what I, you know, I'm a huge Arsenal supporter. Um, and, uh, and I actually recently this year, I decided I have a new rule, which is if you reply to anything that I post <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with work with a tweet at me about work, you get muted and I'm done with you. <laughs> like if you can't offer some that. basic, basic civility. And my thing was just tweet at me, like just put my name and tweet at me and say, Hey, I have a question for you. I totally fine with that. I don't care. I, I, I understand that's part of the deal, but when people try and take anything that I do and turn it back to work, I'm, I'm done with that. Like yeah. I, I still get to be a human being and, uh, and have a personal Twitter account that I'm allowed to, to do other stuff on. I totally get that for sure. Um, I also have to just quickly ask uh, real fast, how do you feel about that U.S. win against Mexico? So good, you have no idea. I know. Like, so good. I'm torn. Given where, I'm torn because I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm Hispanic, right? My, my, my dad's from... So my dad's from Nicaragua. They don't have a team, so he just roots for Mexico because he lived there for like five mm -hmm. years. <laughs> and my mom's Mexican, mm -hmm. right? So, like, I want to root for the Mexican team, but I live in the U.S. So my, like, hierarchy is I go U.S. first, then literally everyone else falls under that, right? Mexico, then you like the Latin American countries, and then basically Love anybody it. from like the Americas. And after that, it's like, you know, mm -hmm. the African teams or whatever. But um, I I wish it wasn't on penalties, but I'm so happy that it happened because they're always super hyped to watch, right? It's like the most hyped thing ever. There's like, there's, there's like nothing like just watching, like just the 1v1. Where's it going to go? Are they going to block it? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. It goes ham. Um <laughs> Yeah, it, it, honestly, it's it's after a pretty disastrous uh, 
World Cup qualifying and missing yeah. out on on Russia. It's it's great to see the the youth movement and all of these. I mean, kids. I, I'm allowed to say kids. I have boys. One's 18. One's 22. Who are the same age or older than like m half of our national team is 18, 19, 20, 20. Like it's just it's so hard for me to believe that that these young men at such a young age are going off and playing in countries where they don't speak the language they're living by themselves and they're able to compete at such a high level professionally um, and then get the you know what i consider to be the greatest honor you can have as a player which is to represent you know your your country on on a on a global stage is is awesome um do you think so, so yeah great like, to see them do well because like i i like Maybe because, like, I'm not the biggest fan ever. Like, my dad's a huge fan, so maybe he, maybe he has a different idea, and I should probably ask him about this. But, like, <laughs> I think I think it would be awesome to play for, like, the national team, right? You're, like, representing your country, where you came from, where you're born, right? Like, who you identify as. But I feel like in terms of, like, maybe how other people see it, I think they have more, like, affinity for, like, their, their like, big clubs or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, oh, listen, I, I totally get and respect yeah. that, but I'm just not wired that way. In part because, for me... There was a U.S. national team before there was any of those things here. Right. right? Yeah. Like no, for, for sure. Yeah. I grew up in the era where I got beat up a lot. I was a really little kid, like short <laughs> uh, growing right. up. I, I I didn't really get a growth spurt till college. But like I grew up in the 80s, like it was not cool to play soccer. You got your ass kicked for that kind of <laughs> stuff by all the yeah, I know. by literally everybody else because it was a. You know, it was a wimp sport. Um, so to see how soccer has grown and been embraced, you know, you mentioned your your um, your parents are from Nicaragua and Mexico. I actually yeah. lived in Mexico City when I was a kid oh, nice. uh, for a year. That's actually where I started playing soccer was like I that's where I was old enough to start kicking a ball around with my dad in the courtyard um, when we lived there. And uh, so, you know, I, I love that passion that, that um, you know, that the latino community has for you know but there's folks like you said who live and die with you know club america like that's yeah it. that's their yeah. team above everything else and then there's folks who say no the national team is more important like i don't judge whatever whatever's your jam like um i think that's awesome for me like if i had the you got you could do anything you wanted one time before you go i think mine would probably be like i would love to pull on the kit and play for play for my country i well until covid i still played i haven't played now in right. in 18 months but you know even after hitting 50 i i still play pretty pretty competitively um cuánto uh, tiempo viviste en méxico un año y qué por qué estabas viviendo allí uh i cannot answer that in spanish so i'm going to answer it in english <laughs> <laughs> my dad had a grant study uh the transit system in mexico city that was what uh, he went to graduate school for so i was born in puerto rico see i got some i got some wow. latino roots i was born in puerto rico and my dad was in the coast guard and then we moved to milwaukee because puerto rico to milwaukee is a pretty well-known pipeline um and then and then from milwaukee we moved to mexico city for a year and my parents met in the peace corps so my parents oh, cool. both grew up speaking spanish and uh, met in the peace corps in panama so my dad was always in part really dialed into soccer because it was such a big thing um and in the Hispanic should, community shouldn't you be cheering for the puerto rican soccer team then <laughs> don't judge me <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing with me. I dude. am it's technically Boricura. Like, I am a, a, a born on the island Boricua. in Puerto Rico. Boricua. Nice. But, uh, 
but I, uh, it was on the Coast Guard base, and you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> right. Uh, it still counts, but I do. Yeah, I pull yeah. for him. Like, uh, I mean, you have, and, yeah, and yeah, I'm uh, still available to play if they need a, you know, if they need somebody to fill out squad for the next for the next match. Like, I am around. So, so your dad worked on the, Twitter. <laughs> your dad worked on the transit system. You said. Yeah, yeah. My and, dad yeah. went down to Mexico City to study the transit system in Mexico City, and then that's what he he was a an assistant manager and then a manager of like city. So I like grew up most of my life. I spent in Charlotte, North Carolina. My dad was the was the general manager of the bus system. Like I I took the city bus to grade school and all through high school until I could drive because my dad ran the bus system and was like, hey, my kids, you know, my kids need to ride the bus. You know, I work for the bus system. Perfectly viable. You should ride the bus. So I I rode the city bus until I was 16. And then like the reason that's so interesting to me is because I think Mexico City has the worst traffic in the entire world. Like, mm. uh, actually, like in, terms of, that, in terms of congestion, I think there's just like. I think like that highway in China is the worst, no? The one, do you know that my, the, the you know that my like very videos? first memory as a human being took place in Mexico City, and it's because I cracked my head on my brother's crib when I was goofing around <laughs> like I was three or four, and he was a baby in the crib, and I split my head open here on the side. And my first memory is being strapped down in a straitjacket to a table in the emergency room so they could stitch up my head because they didn't do anesthesia on little kids. And so I literally, my first memory was cracking my skull open and then the trauma of being stitched up with no, no anesthesia, local or otherwise, Man. in a Mexico City hospital. Welcome to the world, kid. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to pull up right now a tweet from 2017 that Pete put up of the hospital he was born in San Juan. Well, at least where it used to be. Okay. And it's not a hospital be. anymore. Now it's a, a building museum. And I think that tweet does highlight there's no plaque there yeah. denoting that that's where I was born. Like it's my birthplace. That, we should make that happen. I, we I should got... make that happen. Let's do it. Like birthplace of video games. Yeah, sure. right. Yeah. <laughs> as as seen on the you know yeah. on the hundredth episode like uh, nothing uh, no yeah. maybe now i'll get one maybe now that i've been on this for your hundredth episode maybe this will will be the final straw this should, this should be like in a in a fallout map or something <laughs> <laughs> that'd Pete's be, birthplace actually that'd be pretty funny if that was like a little easter egg uh, or something they threw up there um so speaking of which, uh, let's let's get into some QuakeCon stuff because I mean that's that's you know that's ultimately why you're here. I mean, I mean well you're here because we actually really want to talk to you and we think you're super cool. But you know um, you know we do have QuakeCon coming up super soon. Um, yep. Can we talk about the history about uh, about QuakeCon? Because for me, like when I was growing up, it was always this like this giant awesome like land party that I never got to go to because my parents were like, "What the heck is a land party? Like stay home." Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, how how did it start? Uh, QuakeCon actually started in like a conference room. I don't remember which hotel it was, but it's like the equivalent of like a Best Western. And it was basically a bunch of folks who loved playing games getting together on their own to say, hey, we love games and like, let's all get together and play Quake and we'll, you know, we'll connect our computers together and have a session. And, you know, th there weren't a ton of, you know, it, it's not yeah. like it was 5,000 people. It was like, 25 or 30 or 50 i don't remember the exact number and i remember that john carmack and i'm pretty sure will it's probably most of it ended up stopping by there at some point um just to chat with them like 
out in the parking lot, whatever. Like that was the first QuakeCon. It wasn't some big formal thing. It was just like a bunch of folks getting together based around a, a game that they loved and, and wanting to play games together. And, you know, all these years later, um, that's still at the heart of what this show is about, which is it's really about people who have a shared passion and love of games, regardless of what type getting together for, you know, fun and gaming and rockets and love and you know in the and we also managed to raise some money for some good causes and awesome. give away cool prizes and all of that but it really at its core has been a um community driven uh, community focused uh chance to get together and and play games that's awesome yeah i've always wanted to go to a land party i know like they're not as big as they used to be or they're not as oh what actually i might be talking my ass there but like, um, I feel like just because of the internet, right. People just kind of congregate there, but I feel hey, like you just hop on like, Hey, let's jump on. And yeah. Yeah. But I feel like they're, they're, but you've never, you've never been to QuakeCon. I've never been to, uh, to, to QuakeCon. I've always wanted to go, um, to QuakeCon. One of these hack. days we're going to get back in, in person. Yeah. And, and I tell you, it, you can go to PAX, you can go to E3 or Gamescom or Paris. Like I've been to all of them at least once. Um, there's nothing like QuakeCon, nothing like it is so unique and different. There are literally generations of gaming uh, gamers coming yeah. together. Like we have volunteers who have, you know, now have kids who are volunteers because they've been bringing their kids to QuakeCon since they were little. And now their kids are in college and they're bringing their friends and they're like, it's just a great familial feel and, and uh, everybody's super nice and and get along. And it's just about having having a good time, having fun and, and celebrating games. Have you ever taken your own computer to QuakeCon? I have not. I have not. I have gone and sat in the BYOC a number of years, but usually when I do it, uh, I, and this is sacrilege, although again, because QuakeCon is awesome, uh, nobody ever gives me crap about it, but I always actually just take an Xbox because um, <laughs> I've taken my boys a couple of different years and Xbox is actually the platform that we game on um, together. Cause awesome. I, I honestly, like I don't do a ton of PC gaming. I, I haven't had a gaming PC in my house for forever. Cause um, I don't know, I just didn't like, I, I yeah. do a ton of gaming at work, play testing our stuff. Um, but yeah, I would just take my Xbox and play, you know, Overwatch with my kids or Rocket League or Fallout 76 or, you know, whatever I was playing. And uh, yeah, it doesn't PC console like we don't judge. Just come and join and play and have fun. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking through your guys' Instagram right now um, for QuakeCon. There's a lot of cool stuff. I want those shirts and those joggers look really, really comfy. So I might I might pick up some swag. I'm a I'm I'm a sucker for t-shirts and like for pants. I don't know why. I, I got my cat loop shirt on today. We're doing a couple of shirts for uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, raise money. So I got my uh, this is that's the cat one. And there's an awesome if you're into it or Doom or shooters. We have the Pugubus, the, uh, yeah. uh, the pugubus <laughs> as well. Yeah, it looks super good. <laughs> <laughs> that one's awesome. Let me click on that. I think uh, I'm looking for the link on it. I, I also wanted to ask a question, too, because I, I keep seeing balls here. And like I haven't seen balls in the longest time. And for those who don't know, balls is an energy drink. Uh, it's been around forever. Like I remember it was like the first like gamer energy drink like um how did that how did that come around like that the whole uh, I don't think I've it? ever really got an explanation on that other than like much like the the origins of QuakeCon itself like it was entirely driven by 
the the gamers like yeah they they would if <laughs> one of the interesting things about QuakeCon is there are a healthy number of people who consider it a ba- badge of honor to like not sleep during QuakeCon. Oh yeah, like just yeah, I heard of that. Yeah. Twenty four hours of gaming, three days in a row. Don't stop. Don't be a quitter. Don't take a shower. Um, <laughs> I don't happen to agree with that approach, <laughs> right. uh, but one of the early tools that they used for their gaming binges was balls, and it's been a part of QuakeCon. I mean, we do chugging contests and. Uh, you'll never see more cases of that stuff in your life than when you're at QuakeCon. Like, it's literally everywhere. It's hard to find a Red Bull at QuakeCon because everybody's drinking balls. <laughs> yeah, I I don't like... Um, I'm assuming people, like, are, are buying it just, like, regularly, like, you know, like, on the street. But, like, I don't know if the last time I saw, like, a bottle of... I love this guy here in the shower. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're watching the stream, this guy in the shower, he has his, he has his can of balls. Shower balls. Um, yeah. Ball, but, uh, balls is to gaming what uh, Fago <laughs> is to juggalos. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. a. All right. It's like a very like early like like a early two thousands late nineteen nineties like gaming things. I remember I used to go to a PC cafe back in the day to play uh, CS uh, before they were on Steam uh, to go Counter Strike, and I think the only thing they had there was balls. There was like no coke. Mm-hmm. Or anything like that, and then uh, barbecue lays. It's the only thing. I don't know why they only ever stock barbecue lays. I don't like barbecue lays, but that was that was it. Yeah, we don't, and we don't usually get the bottles because obviously, with the for safety reasons, like yeah. trying not to have a lot of glass, so it's pretty much all the cans. Yeah, I uh, actually wasn't aware they were doing the cans, show. and they they have the little the little balls. Ripples, <laughs> you call mm-hmm. the whole bit, <laughs> the ribbing on the bicycles now. I know. <laughs> I kind of want to go in on some balls soon. Mm-hmm. Ivan, let's, let's go. Let's go pick up some yeah. balls, dude. <laughs> the, the marketing work, Pete. We're gonna buy this stuff. This is all. I a assume a royalty ploy. check is being cut <laughs> somewhere at balls for me for whatever that's worth. It's all a clever uh, ploy to sell some balls. That's that's yeah, that's, but that's that, all it is. That whole thing came from like. The fans who were super and the gamers who were super into it and balls, of course, uh, totally embraced being the drink of choice for for all of these gamers. And the rest is kind of history. Besides balls, energy drink, what's your favorite thing about QuakeCon? Honestly, just getting to be there and chat with people like, I, you know, I, I there's lots of folks that I've I don't know how many. Well, until COVID hit, how many in a row I'd been to it might have been. 10 or getting close to 10 uh, before before we had to go virtual last year. So like just getting to see familiar faces and and chat with folks like everybody super friendly. Um, uh, that That's my favorite part, like just getting to see people and sort of like enjoy how much it means to them to get together, how much they appreciate, you know, our support in, in trying to help put on a show that they'll really enjoy. Um, just being there amongst the folks and getting chat with people is kind of the best. And how hard was it to do that or to keep up that same spirit, I guess, um, with last year and this year, you know, that it's all virtual. Um, it's a pretty crap substitute if I'm being honest, like what we've tried to do is, you know, to embrace like getting together and having fun, but look, there's no substitute for face to face, right? We're all at however many months now, 17 months of dealing with a lot of not face to face or at least severely limited. And like you can tell, you can feel it. You spend a month not 
talking to anybody face to face or, you know, in my case, I spent 20 years working at this company and every single day at work, I worked with the people. We, I never worked from home. We always worked in the office. And so to yeah. go from that to suddenly, you know, doing everything over a camera, it's it's just not the same. But at the same time, um, you know, we felt like it was important to figure out how do we still come together as best we can to to sort of celebrate and enjoy as much of this as we can without the face to face part. And and, you know, last year, I think, you know, the feedback we got was, hey, it's not exactly the same as being there in person, but it, this is still pretty great. And it's better than than having no QuakeCon um, at all. And we learned some things and took some feedback and are trying a, a few new things this year. Um, but, you know, we also want to use it not just as a way to bring the community together, but also to speak to our community. You know, we we do try and use it as a moment to talk to folks about, like, what's going on with their games? What's coming to ESO or 76 or what's going on with Doom or, you know, whatever the case may be. We're going to be doing some of that again um, this year as well, um, in addition to things like, you know, how do we still have a dirty keyboard contest? How do we still get involved and help support, you know, various different charities, all, all of those kinds of things. But, you know, truthfully, there's just no real substitute for in person. Um, at the same time, I think all of us, you know, the attendees, everyone at Bethesda and it have sort of and, and all the volunteers I should never forget the volunteers because QuakeCon doesn't exist without our amazing volunteers. We all sort of agreed. Look, yeah, that's true but we can't do anything about that. So let's figure out how to have the most fun with this. We, we can, and, and at least get together virtually as best we can um, until we can all get back together in, in person. And man, I sure am looking forward to that. Um, hopefully next year. I say, uh, hopefully, because I assume we're going to, we're going to be past, yeah. uh, you know, the 47 different strains of this, we're all going to have to deal with and, <laughs> and hope, be able right? to get back in, in person. Yeah. So. You you mentioned the dirty keyboard contest, and a little birdie told me the other day that that's literally the only reason you go to QuakeCon is because you love judging that contest so much. Is that true? That's a, a bald-faced lie. I got <laughs> roped into that one year because I'm too nice to say no. And they were like, hey, would you come do this? And I was like, what exactly are you going to have me do? And then... Uh, and then I just, I don't know, like I did it once and then I became a regular. I definitely enjoy, I definitely enjoy doing it. It, it's really gross, um, especially yeah, but- in person. That's the part I don't mind doing virtually where I don't have to have <laughs> disgusting keyboards that light up like the 4th of July when you put a blue light on them. Like I'm totally oh, Lord, fine being imagine. completely remote from those. Um, <laughs> but what's, uh, what's the grossest thing you've seen on a keyboard? Um, <laughs> he's something real hard about that. One. <laughs> no, I'm Which trying to figure out how to phrase this without like uh, disgusting all of you that you don't want to eat lunch anymore because I know it's early out on the West Coast. There's a lot of things that you pray to God were like yogurt. How about that? Oh my God! <laughs> wow, this is disgusting. I'm gonna some yeah. yogurt right now. Actually, I'll be right back. <laughs> I just got a little hungry. <laughs> Gotta clean my keyboard now. I, I don't think I've cleaned my keyboard in like four or five. Whenever we got our dog is the last time I cleaned my keyboard because I literally see his like puppy fur in here and it's kind of it, gross. It, it might be time. Yeah, I think it might be time. I'm just lazy, you know, because you got to pull them out and then you got to like wipe your thing out. I just, it's, I, I honestly, I feel you. I'd just rather buy a new keyboard than, than clean this. <laughs> That's <thing>. also an <laughs> acceptable answer. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what um, what are you guys doing differently with QuakeCon this year virtually that you didn't do last year? Um, I don't think we're doing a 
ton differently. We're just sort of changing. Like, look, last year we had this idiotic idea of doing nonstop 72 hours of streaming around the world. Um, I, I almost lost a few folks <laughs> from my team trying to pull something like that off and keep the trains running. So we decided to pull back on the scope a little bit to not like um, completely overdo it. Um, but, uh, you know, at its core, it's still the same thing, which is, you know, we, we want to have lots of, of, of fun things from the community. We've got some content, some things we're doing um, ourselves in, term, in terms of like panels and talking about some of our games, like, hey, what's going on with Deathloop or ESO or um, stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's just like a, it's a iteration off of what we did last year where we're trying to sort of do more of what people like, do less of either what people didn't like as much or what right. nearly uh, killed some of us and, and sort of right size it and, uh, and do something that folks will enjoy again, even, even if we can't get together to have as much fun as we can, um, while we're apart. And, uh, you guys are doing it all through discord. Am I, am I mm -hmm. right on that? Okay. And, yeah. Um... There's a, there's an amazing, um, QuakeCon discord channel. And on that channel, there's like, all kinds of sub channels where like to, if you're only interested in certain kinds of games or like want to join up for contests or tournaments or um, it's pretty great. And again, our community is like off the charts. Amazing. Some of the most gracious, welcoming folks you'll you'll ever find in gaming. Um, so uh, you, you can do no wrong joining the the QuakeCon Discord channel and, and joining in on the fun. Yeah, there's a you know there's like a Picks and Videos channel. There's a Count to Seven Point Five Billion channel. If you guys want to count, uh, <laughs> you promote streams. I just they the do contests. Yeah. They do contests and giveaways, and you know individual folks would do streams. I did some goofy Fallout seventy six challenge last year where you leave the vault, basically in nothing but your vault suit, and you drink a. Um, a balls every time you get shot. <laughs> no, you drink the. Uh, oh my god, I just spaced. The Nuka Shine. You drink a Nuka Shine, which uh -huh. randomly teleports you to a point on the map. So everybody would leave the vault at once. Uh, actually, for this one, there was a, they had built like a, a, a base. So we go to the base. You drink the. You drink the Nuka Shine. It teleports you randomly somewhere on the map, and then you have to make it back to the base as fast as you can without dying. <laughs> and it was sort of a contest to yeah, see yeah. how many times can you get back touch base, drink another, and you're level one. So you have nothing. You have no weapons. You have no, like, so you're literally just running from everything. Um, you know, you there's some folks who, like, try and level up and, and pick perks that help them go faster or, you know, sprint longer without getting tired. There's folks who will grab stuff and try and sell it so they can buy stuff in a store to give themselves an advantage. So there's all kinds of different fun challenges and community events going on, uh, and you can find all of it in the in our QuakeCon Discord channel. Yep, linking it in the chat for you guys who want to check it out. Uh, definitely join. It's it's cool. I've been I've been keeping an eye on it for the past uh, I don't know since I joined like last week or something. It's uh, it's pretty cool. It's really awesome. Yeah, you know a lot of great people great on there. Great folks. Yeah. Um, tell them tell them I sent you. Will do. Here, I'll say right now in chat. Yo Pete sent us. Yo Theo Pete said hi. <laughs> right or there. Ola, as the case may be. There we go. <laughs> People in chat right now saying Pete sent me. Do it, guys. Everyone do it right now. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, uh, folks out there on 
internet, Twitch land, if you guys have any questions uh, for Pete, I know we had a couple in the past, but we couldn't get to them because we're, we're talking. Um, but if you want to ask uh, Pete any questions in the chat, uh, please go ahead and drop them. Um, I'm just going to give you guys like the general like PR, marketing, social media, pub, uh, public facing person thing. We're not doing any announcements here. Nothing is being, you know, no new news is being is being shared. Uh, please keep an eye on the Bethesda, Elder Scrolls, whatever. Subreddits, discords, you know, for your news, <laughs> official channels. I, I, I know, I know. Yeah, the answer <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. yeah, but if you folks have any questions for either me and Ivan or questions for Pete, uh, please drop them in the chat. Uh, but until then, we're just we're just gonna BS a little bit. Um, okay. One, one one question I did see that someone was asking Pete when he was talking about working from home is they asked, did you did you lose contact with your coworkers? Oh. Because you're work, working remotely. Did you fall out of no. contact with people you used to work in proximity to? That was the question. No, no, not at all. We're, we're a pretty tight-knit bunch at, um, at Bethesda. And uh, so, it, again, it's, it's certainly not easy. And it's, uh, you know, it's the thing that I miss most about being in the office, which is getting up, uh, you know, out of my chair or, or out of my office and just walking over to chat with folks, having a conversation face to face, being able to have impromptu discussions, you know, when you're all remote and in five different houses, instead of just being able to walk by and go, Hey, do you, do you have a second to chat? Like, let's get together. And we have a little conversation. Hey, what should we do about this? What does everybody think? You know, we talk about it, we figure it out and we say, all right, let's, let's do this. You don't get to do that remotely, right? You got to, you're sending a bunch of different Slack messages and who's around and, um, but we're still very good about keeping up with each other. One of the things that we did um, in my department meetings was um, I instituted show and tell uh, because in our department meetings, you know, my department is, is considerably bigger than the two people uh, myself and one other that it was when I started. And so one of the things I wanted to do to make sure we were all getting to see each other as I asked folks to do little show and tell presentations. Um, so like it was everything from like, Hey, if you've ever been interested in getting into hiking, here's a bunch of tips on hiking and, or, uh, like Deanna, one of the ladies who works on QuakeCon for us on our events team did one on wine pairings with Girl Scout cookies. Um, or, you know what I mean? Like it was just, we wanted to just have folks talking and presenting and everybody else in the department getting to see them and, and, and hear from them because like we, we missed that part of being apart. So, you know, we did the best we could with happy hours and other things to try and make sure we were constantly getting together, checking in on each other. Um, you know, it, it, it was and still is a, a trying time for folks. You know, yeah. some folks are, are at yeah. home with little kids 24 seven, which is a real challenge. There's other folks who are home all by themselves, which is a completely different kind of challenge. And you know, we, we have just tried to do the best we can to support everybody, whatever their whatever their circumstances are. Yeah, I actually like that show until I do. We should do that, Dennis. We should. Let's Tell tally after this after this yeah. podcast. I'm going to write um, all these ideas down. We have an, another question here from Dragon Rush. So we've actually made two two Bethesda cases. We have the uh, H700 Nuka-Cola, the H500 Vault Boy, and mm -hmm. Dragon Rush is asking, what Bethesda game would Pete like NZXT to make next into a case? That's a good question. Do you want to honestly know something? I, I have been thinking about getting a custom PC uh, built with a, with a custom case. 
And here's my here's my real challenge, which is it would be incredibly difficult for me to just pick one. Like like I could do a cool outer space one and do like a Starfield thing. I could do like a Skyrim one. I could do a do but like what I really want to do is uh, all of the above one. Like I want to do one that's got like hints at Dishonored and Prey and Wolfenstein and Doom and Elders cuz I've worked on all of those things. Like I've worked with people who um and myself included have poured a lot of themselves into making those games, making them a success, making them fun. And uh, so I got to figure out a way to do a, an all encompassing case that has little nods and, and touches to all of the different things that I've got had, a, you know, the privilege of working on over the years. Well, I, it's, a, it's a good question. One that I am literally trying to figure out the answer to right now. So like a collage oh. or like a mural kind of thing, right? You know <laughs> what? You, I'm there. sure you have a lot of talented people uh, in, in your community. So if anybody comes up with any really great designs or ideas on how to do a case that sort of encompasses all of my time at Bethesda and all the things we've made, <laughs> actually, find me on Twitter, like, DC Deacon on Twitter. That's not a bad idea so, for a contest, Ivan. If you could have a case that's like... The hospital in San Juan. <laughs> At the very top, That's right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the next hood so is it's, like it's a... The, it's the side of a hospital in San Juan, but it's got like a, a painted mural on it that's got all the... So we get a little of both, right? You get the yeah. get the origins and you get... Yeah, if you got an idea, I, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> you got a doom guy uh, kicking figure a soccer out how ball. To build my next <laughs> right, the next question here is from Ripcord Jack. He wants to know, how do you guys tackle collectors slash special editions? How do you go about planning those things and selecting what goes in them? Uh, it's a long process. You have to start a very long time ahead of the game coming out. Um, and it really just depends. We sort of talk, uh, you know, amongst my team and my team is like, everybody that works as brand managers or, or PR managers, um, community managers, content, you know, wh whoever it is, uh, as well as all the developers, like, Hey, what would, what would you love? Or what would give you, get you really excited? Sometimes our devs have really strong ideas about a thing they want to make. And we're like, sweet. Sounds awesome. Let's do that. Um, sometimes not and they're like, well, we could do this or we could do that. Um, we we have um, a pretty amazing um, licensing and merch team uh, at Bethesda between Mike and, and David and Jess that help us out a lot with um, putting us in touch with folks who do really cool things and figuring out how to create and make all of this stuff. And then it really, honestly, it just comes down to time. Like, you know, I, I know one of the things that always comes up is like, oh, you didn't make enough and I didn't get didn't get one. But like the amount of time that you have to build into a schedule to get all of these disparate things, even if you're just doing one thing, like making a bunch of one thing that has to go out on three different platforms and God only knows how many languages and God only knows how many countries and having time to do all that, backing it up from, from when the game is going to come out. Um, you, you, it's a lot harder than you think. And, and man, now it's even worse, right? I don't have to tell you anybody things like plastic, or if you've tried to, order parts and suddenly you're, you know, your arrival date keeps slipping by three months or six months because it's hard to find components or there's a world plastic shortage or whatever the hell um, the case might be. It's even more 
it's even more difficult. But usually we try and do stuff that we feel like really resonates with the core fan of whatever that thing um, is. And we also are really big fans as much as, as possible of doing stuff that feels like it came from the game. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. the the, yeah. the the helmet that we did for Doom Eternal, like, oh, that looks that like that. his his helmet or, you know, like what we did for Fallout with the, the Pip-Boys. Like we like doing stuff that feels like it's real and from the world as opposed to a made up thing that represents something from the game, at least as much as we can. Um, but, you know, even for things like the Elder Scrolls, we we if we do a character like we, we want it to look like a statue that you would find in the game for that thing. Right. You're going to do, you know, the Mayru a Mayroon's Dagon statue like, well, it needs to look like a thing you would find in in the world not like a not like a toy that we just invented i want that helmet i know dude i was trying to get that but uh i missed out <laughs> i think i fell asleep when they were when they were supposed to uh sell the collection <laughs> i didn't get one <laughs> yep they go uh, quick yeah no they do, they right, do. The, the next question is a good one here from twin dad all right quake 1v1 which john wins romero or carmack <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> Whoever wins, we lose, right? That's how it works. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to ask about that because, um, like, I was super excited when it joined Bethesda because, I mean, I mean, I mean we've seen what happened since then, right? Like, it's been amazing. How how was that, like, just having them join you guys? Say, hey, we're at software. We're here now. We do Doom and we do all these all these all these all these great games. Mm -hmm. They just like um, walk in slow motion into the offices and just like, what's good or like. <laughs> no we do not do that um you know we, we try very hard um to to make sure that you know whether it's id or arcane or machine games mm -hmm. or tango any of these studios that we have acquired over the years that we really number one we know who they are and what their culture is like and we feel like their culture and our culture share a lot of similar values so it's not a big like culture shock um, and we try much as we can to simply support what they're doing um, and help them do what they're doing even um, even better. Uh, you know, the the acquisition of id like that didn't get off to like the the easiest, smoothest start. If you remember, like they were making rage with somebody else when yeah. we acquired them remember and then that. like that stopped. So then we picked up rage sort of midstream and then as you know, I, I'm not spilling any secrets. This is well-worn territory, but they were working on a version of a new Doom game that quite honestly, they didn't, they just didn't love. They didn't feel like it was the right tone or vibe or direction. And and quite honestly, we we agreed and we essentially started over on a game that had been in development for a while and had been spent a lot of time and money on and made the really hard choice to, listen, we're going to, we're going to, take another crack at this and do it right. And that's how we got, you know, doom in, in 2016 and the game that that was, um, that was, that was the most stressful part and, and most difficult part because, you know, you're not talking about, Oh, well, you lost a few months of progress or, you know, a few dollars, like, no, you don't run a team or a studio for years and not have it cost a lot of money. Um, yeah, I can imagine. And, and, and making the tough decision, to, to say we have enough confidence and faith to start this over again is not 
anything that anybody takes lightly, including the folks at id themselves. I mean, I, I have heard Marty Stratton uh, speak often over the years since then about, you know, the importance of the support that he got from Bethesda and, and Zinemax and our belief in them that, you know, we are going to take this chance and start over again because we think ultimately we'll come out of it is the best game possible instead of saying, look, just do the best you can with what we've already got. You know, we're already far down the path, like just just see that through to completion. It, it would not have been difficult for us as a company to say that, but I think we made the tougher decision to say, look, if it's not the right game, then this has all been a giant waste of time. Yeah. And if you're telling us that this isn't the right game, like we get what you're referring to and we kind of have the same feeling. And so let's, let's give it a shot. Um, and, and what you got as a result is, you know, a pretty amazing game in Doom, yeah. Doom 2016 and a pretty amazing follow-up in Doom Eternal. But for all of these studios, look, there's always... The, the, the most important thing in being good at making video games is having the experience of making a game with those same people, right? You could take, like, the best programmers in the world, regardless of where they work, with the best character artists and the best animators and, and designers and writers and throw all of those disparate people into a room and say, make, you know, an amazing game and it'll be a complete and utter disaster. <laughs> it, it's sort of like when you yeah. watch a, like, like an all-star game, right? And you're like, these guys don't even look like they've ever played yeah. with each other. Yeah. You know, that like it's, it's a lot like the more you're used to working together and how best to work together, the better you get at it. Um, and that goes beyond development. Like it, it's one thing just for the studio making the game for them to have experience working together and get more efficient and understand their processes. But then there's all of these other things that have to happen in order for that game to be a success. Right. right. Like my team, which is, well, you can't just make it until it's done and then ship it without telling anybody till the day it's out. <laughs> like we have to do some right. work to get people excited about it. Show them what you're making. Like let them know why they should care which requires them to do things along the way that aren't necessarily focused on getting the game done, right? Something yeah. like E3 can be a great moment for a studio because sometimes a studio director, a game director will tell you, like, actually, I really like that we ha we're sort of having to hold to delivering this E3 asset because it gets the team really focused when they know, hey, the this is going to be something the public is going to see, right? Because the dirty little secret about video games is they are broken more or less the whole time that you're developing them until you get to the end, right? There's always bugs. There's always issue. Yeah. Some global illumination thing, some, you know, all the characters are, are T posing around the world because there's an animation bug, like getting the game to look ready for public viewing is a very different and stressful thing. And working as a team through that process and understanding um, what everybody needs in order to make that happen and working towards that same goal, like it, there's no replacement for doing that together. And once you do it once and you have something to build on to do the next one, even better. And once you do that, right. you know, and so that's why you see a studio like it or Bethesda game studios, like they get better and better every game they work on together because they understand better what each other's strengths or weaknesses are, or, you know, who brings what to the table. Um, or even just something as simple as, Hey, this is the point at which we have to stop adding things to the game. Right. Um, because adding things to a game is the quickest way to delay a game. Like you, you're generally far better off with addition by subtraction and cutting things that might have sounded good on paper, but in execution, like, you know what? 
this isn't all that fun or it's way too repetitive or it's fun the right. first time and then it gets really boring and like making those hard decisions and having that trust in each other to say hey this is the right choice to you know to shelve this or you know let's let's wait and put more time into it for a dlc or you know do it as post-launch you know uh update or whatever um is a difficult thing to replicate until you've gone through it yeah i've um i have a little bit of experience before here um i was working at a at a uh game publisher and i mean you're you're absolutely right you know um i'm I'm such a like student, like from afar, I was like game development and just like how these things work, you know, like any, any bit of info I can get from like anything, you know, like, uh, if like any article comes out, I'm always reading it and just, and just looking into it. And yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things where like you have to really decide like what the core experience of the game you're making is. And then you kind of stick to that, right. And you focus on that because, you know, I, I know there's been a lot of projects that, you know, have like crashed and burned because they try to add way too many things and then it's just it just never comes out or it doesn't come out in like a polished state and they have like a lot of cool features but none of them really work well together or they're just there to be there so yeah it's it's great um while you were talking i was actually throwing up uh uh that uh footage from no clip where they went they and they spoke to the to the uh to the doom team um about mm -hmm. like uh the development of what was like doom 4 right and like yep. how that looked like and yeah just like the stark difference from what doom 4 was gonna be to what doom 2016 was it's just night it's night and day yeah in, insane and like i remember playing that game and just like from the first i think actually i think you guys actually showed off the first footage at QuakeCon, right for mm -hmm. 2016 yeah and i remember i saw that first just intro where doom guy wakes up and i'm like this is it like they've they, they've done it like they've yeah. somehow figured out this game that i used to play when i was you know a little kid on my dad's you know uh uh uh, MS DOS computer, and they somehow just took all that and and updated it for you know twenty thirty something year old me, and it was it was it was it was great. You know, it's a uh, if you were in that yeah. room the first time we showed that game off, that was a really that's one of those like I was there when that yeah, yeah. happened. For those who don't know, we showed it off at, at QuakeCon, and we showed it behind closed doors um, at the end of our welcome. So we turned off the stream and we said, okay. We're just showing this for you. Like, put your phones away. Don't stream it. No photos. Like, yeah. we just want to do this here with the QuakeCon community. And the best part of that was um, <laughs> I had this idea that Marty Stratton had done this presentation before um, about Doom and what it was. And it used, like, PowerPoint. And it was a bunch of, like, concept art and stuff. And I was like, Marty, what would you think about <laughs> starting your presentation off with a PowerPoint? Like, I love the idea of head faking everybody into thinking, like, <laughs> son of a bitch. They hype this up, and all I get is a goddamn PowerPoint with concept art. And sure enough, it took, like... There were people, I remember one of my colleagues was sitting with the press folks and the press guys are like, oh my God, are they really just going to show a PowerPoint? This is a disaster. And then Marty, like after, you know, it wasn't long. It was like five, seven minutes. He's like, all right, but there's nothing better than seeing the game. And everybody was like, yeah. And then they played it live on the stage in front of everybody. Yeah. And it was like a religious experience, like watching yeah. people who have such a deep love for something, see it brought back to life in that way, like... It was, you know, if you're on that dev team, as many of them were in that studio, like I can't imagine any more <laughs> empowering moment to go back in the office and finish this thing than watching. I don't remember how many people we squeezed in that room. We were full. Whatever, <laughs> dear yeah. fire marshal, whatever the rule was, we <laughs> stuck to that number and didn't go over by one. I swear to God. Um, 
but no real breaking like, here. That right? room <laughs> just lost its mind for yeah. the whole thing with the chainsaws and the glory kills and all yeah. and the and and it was like okay, we we got something like you know because again that was the first point at which we got validation on holy shit is did canceling that last thing and starting all over again like is it you know you you're never really sure on anything that you or at least it, I'm right? maybe yeah. some people are i'm not like i worked yeah. on skyrim and at no point in that game was i like oh this is going to be amazing it's a you know i can't miss like i i don't i'm not wired that way i'm always right. looking for what did we miss where are the problems where the, yeah, you know yeah. that kind of thing and so even though we we thought it was great it was still a you're never really sure just how folks are going to re- react yeah. and it was 10 times i think what any of us um expected it was it was something special yeah i remember seeing the threads like show up on reddit like oh they shut off doing 2016 it's gonna be great and i'm like i why did i miss this like why didn't i go like i should have gone this year um, I, I, I don't remember if there were rumors that like that, that you guys were going to show off doom. But like, I remember like somebody told me, it's like, Hey, you should probably go this year. And I'm like, yeah, uh, we, we said know. at E3 that year, we did a okay, little teaser okay, at okay. E3 and said we were going to do the full reveal at QuakeCon. So we, okay, but right. we also said like, Hey, okay, you gotta be was, yeah. at QuakeCon if you want to see this. We're not, yeah. we're not showing everybody. I know that's a, uh, that's a. Uh, Probably one of my favorite games in like the last honestly like ten years I think like it yeah, was it was it was, awesome. it was it was, it was super good, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah especially I, for me I like I mentioned it. earlier like you know I literally like upgraded my PC so I can play <laughs> Doom and Wolfenstein and like I grew up on those games and mm-hmm. when I when I saw the like Doom twenty sixteen yeah it like you know brought me back in it sucked me back in I was like man they did it like they made it even more awesome than I remembered and. Uh, Thank God they, they scrapped the one, the other one, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. No. It was it was one of those things where like um you know you you take the the like tone and like the feeling of a game and you're just like yep this 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 is it this, this feels right this feels like it's supposed to and you know it was it was great so thanks Pete. <laughs> <laughs> it was my uh, idea. I take yeah, credit for exactly, all of it. Yeah. Like, I did all the coding for that yeah. and the art and that's it was how, a lot that, of work. That's how it works. That's how it he, works. He wrote so. he wrote the manual. Yeah, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't code or draw to save my life. If you're waiting for me to contribute I'm, to a game, you are screwed. I am the same way. Like when it, when I was growing up, my my folks would be like, "You play so many games, you you should go to school to make them." I'm like, I'm not that smart. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> there's no way I could ever ever code a video game. Like, I just I, I'm I'm just gonna enjoy talking about them and doing things and, and playing them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, just 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 to support everybody else. <laughs> here's a here's an interesting question from Death Rage. What's your favorite game you wished was a part of Bethesda so you could improve it or not, change it up nope, a bit? Nope. <laughs> not touching that. <laughs> That's how we get completely misleading headlines. Oh, and yeah. Keith yeah, Hines so wants talk to right make now, the like next blank right? shows up on yeah. it. Nope. Sorry. Not touching that. No, thank P- you. Pete Hines wants to add glory kills to Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> nope. Not touching it. <laughs> I have an answer, but I'm not yeah. telling you what it is because... That we see, be talking. We see Mario, you in there in the, in the chat. Mario glory killing a turtle. <laughs> uh, all right. So Twin Dad wants to know, do you have a treasured promotional item from a game you worked on? Just one? I mean, I have like tons. Because what's your like most prized promotional most treasured, possession? Yeah. Promotional? Yeah. Yeah. From a game. Promotional item from a game. 
Like um, so maybe I guess like the Pip Boy, I guess would be one. The Doom helmet. Yeah, I have. Uh, I could show it to you. You want me to? You want me to grab it? It's in the next yeah. room. Hold on, it's right here. Didn't um I was thinking Ivan like um like for promo stuff like didn't uh Dante's Inferno do you remember that game send yeah send people like something really freaking weird like to like uh, PR and press I forget I don't remember so this doesn't it's not exactly a promotional item <laughs> but right, uh, awesome. I really I really love the um the Brotherhood of Steel helmet that we did, yeah. the power armor helmet we did for That's Fallout. So cool. And we did a we did a special thing with a bunch of artists to have them do different um, custom paint jobs. And I actually won this one at an auction because I just thought it was really cool. My, <laughs> and because my wife liked it, like she liked the creepy eye and all that stuff. Yeah. My wife is weird. She likes horror movies and stuff so that's a particular favorite of mine i'm i'm in the process of moving all my stuff here there i also really love you can see them in the background but i have old xboxes that are custom skinned i have um a skyrim one uh, a fallout 3 one and a fallout 4 one um i don't use them anymore they were all functional and well worn <laughs> at one time um, yeah. we did those as like special um giveaways but my office, like at one point, I need to do like a virtual tour of my office because, oh, my God, I have so much stuff from tw 22 years at the company of like that I have held on to from all of these different games. I, I need to do like a little video tour to show it off. Like it's everything. It's, you know, VGA awards and, um, oh, yeah. you know, everything. Tchotchkes and collector's yeah, was, um, edition stuff. And yeah, I was a... Uh watching such listening to the giant bomb cast and a uh, Jeff Gertzman has like a he, he has a grip of stuff too. this dude I mean because he's been working you know in like in like games press for like the longest time Forever. so yep yeah I mean he just has a collection of like just the weirdest the weirdest shit from like all kinds of like press events and stuff like I know every now and then they'll like get into stories about like how they were sh they're like flown out to like a castle or something for like some some press event and like all kinds of crazy stuff that used to happen back mm -hmm. in the day um so yeah it's 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 always cool to see that stuff. Um, I forget. I was talking to someone yesterday about Back for Blood, um, and it's from mm -hmm. Turtle Rock Studios, right? The same the same devs who did uh, Evolve. And I was just looking up articles because I remember like there's like there's like a huge like you know a, a lot of conversation about that game, and um, <laughs> I stumbled across the article about that seven hundred fifty dollars statue that they made for that, <laughs> and I was like, I know somebody has one of those Evolve statues, uh, and I kind of. I kind of want to get one <laughs> just as like a just like a point of history um i think I that it. giant massive uh thing yeah I'm my, a... my favorite one of my favorite things we ever did was the um and i of course i don't have one here my <laughs> wife would leave yeah. me if i tried to put one in our house but we did giant full-size um uh, brotherhood of steel statues for oh, yeah, fallout yeah. 3 um, and they're in retail stores and like if you go to Game Informer or Xbox or Sony, there's, you know, there's some of our partners that we sent one to as well. There's one in our office. Um, but that was a particular favorite because everybody just absolutely loved them. Um, yeah. Love taking pictures with them. I still have people send me pictures of like ones that they had. I remember I went to a store opening at a GameStop and they they I think they raffled off or, or gave away uh the statue that they had in their store to, to one lucky fan who who wanted to take it home so uh, that was a particular favorite because that was a really challenging thing to sort of bring fallout back while also making it you know it was a 
it was a different kind of game. It wasn't a top-down isometric. It was first-person and third-person and very different. And um, But we also tried to have a lot of fun with, with the IP and Fallout and sort of um, why we, we thought it was such a cool franchise and, and, and game series in the first place. Um, and, and I particularly remember those statues were a lot of damn work to do. You want to talk about collector's <laughs> editions yeah. being tough. Try making a few thousand giant statues that you have to ship around the world. You know, they're all seven eight feet tall um that was yeah. that was no easy task how much yeah. do those things even weigh a lot i remember how much because we've done a number of them over the years but like they were heavy i'm trying to find a photo of it but i do have a photo on the stream of that giant um i don't know what they're called anymore but that giant robot nazi dog thing mr handy oh uh, uh, wait the panzer hunt yeah, yeah yeah there we go yeah that thing uh just a <laughs> photo of this giant, giant statue at the Bethesda offices. That, that the, thing uh, is almost literally standing outside my office. Oh, really? Yeah. I imagine it's like you just turn over. Like, oh, hey, yeah, there's that <laughs> giant murder machine. <laughs> the funny thing is we, we've had a number of other yeah. things uh, <laughs> over, the, over the years in there. We put some, uh, uh, we put a, a Boxman statue in there from uh -huh. The Evil Within. Oh, cool. And um, we, <laughs> we had too many... <laughs> Um, families bringing their kids to the office and it was not uh. <laughs> going over well with the youngsters so we had to take our horrifying um, survival horror thing and, uh, and and put it somewhere in the building so we wouldn't scare the kids <laughs> that's so funny uh, I think we're gonna but find it's still photo really, of that. really cool so this is what Boxman looks like I can't find a photo of the actual I, don't, there, I, I just yeah, sent I you a picture it. I found oh, of the okay, Fall gotcha, 3 gotcha. guy if you want to share it uh, let me... I know I have one of it in our oh, office. Yeah. Oh yeah, there we go. yeah. The you can actually armor. see him behind the uh, the Panzerhund in that picture if you look. He's yeah. He's back, back yeah, he's behind peeking him. a little bit, right? And there's a Dovahkiin <laughs> up the stairs above him. And see, here. that's part of like I miss being in the yeah, office. Some cool like, stuff, I, yeah. You yeah. know, I've spent all of these years walking and taking for granted every day walking into our our building lobby, and you know, there's a. The Doomslayer and the um, Dovahkiin and uh, Mr. We have a working Mr. Uh, Handy robot that we did one year for Fallout 4 <laughs> at E3. Yeah. Uh, That's like awesome. He, seriously, he, he's motion, uh, he has motion detection. He'll talk to you and stuff. We had to turn him off because people are constantly walking by it and he talks <laughs> and the receptionist is going insane. That's so funny. Mr. Handy constantly <laughs> talking, but... Yeah, you sort of miss that stuff. You know, you take for granted getting to see that and walk by it every every day. I, I look forward to being able to do that on a regular basis again. That's great. Nice. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up here, Pete, because no, I'm sure you're very busy, you know, drinking balls and, uh, you know, judging. Wait, Con is coming in a handful yeah, of days exactly, and yeah, trying to know, get everything yeah. ready for that. Yeah, that whole thing, right? <laughs> Quaycon. Um, before before we bounce, do you have anything you want to let the people know about? Anything you want to like shout out, plug? Any any people you just want to say thanks to? Anything like that? Uh, well, again, uh, to 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 both of you, hey, congrats on um, hundred episodes. That's a great oh, thanks, um, accomplishment. Um, congrats. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, just thanks to everybody who who tuned in and watch. Uh, I wasn't joking about the about the custom PC thing. If you have a cool idea for a case that I ought to do for uh, for my new PC. Please send me a tweet at DC Deacon on Twitter or the DC Deacon on Instagram. I would love to see your ideas and 
maybe I'll work with these guys to figure out um, how to buy myself a, a new PC with a sweet custom case. I, I think we know a place that sells computers. I think you do too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, thank you, Pete, for coming on, and we're looking forward to QuakeCon. And speaking of QuakeCon, uh, we will be doing a pretty cool free PC giveaway um, for QuakeCon weekend. Mm-hmm. So be sure to follow NZXT and QuakeCon. The details of the giveaway will be revealed on Thursday, August 19th. Super soon. Um, yeah, so in two weeks from today. And um, yeah, it's going to be cool. We're doing a, a spoiler alert, custom wrapped uh, QuakeCon <laughs> PC here. Uh, and you guys can see what it looks like on social pretty soon. And yeah, just follow Pete on Twitter, DC Deacon, and Instagram, the DC Deacon, if you want to see him unboxing soccer cards. <laughs> and down. you two need to make sure to make plans for QuakeCon next year when we get back to in person. You you owe it to yourself at least once in your life to come down yeah. to Dallas and experience it for yourself. Yeah, I have, I have a list. I have I have DreamHack. I want to go to. That's a good for one. Sure, QuakeCon. Uh, Gamers Outreach also does their like big land mm-hmm. party. I want to do that as well because we work with them a lot. Yep. And they sent me a really cute statue, and um, I want to. Actually, I'll show it off here because I have it. And I want to like oh. thank them. This thing's so cool. It's like their their yeah, little awesome. their little play card oh. thing. It's great. It's heavy. I'll only go if if you show me the new Doom. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new Doom. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. Who knows, Ivan? There's always something new. You know, you can still play Eternal right now, right? <laughs> like, like they're still updating Eternal. There's still stuff on that. You should probably hop on that. Mm. It's hard too, by the way. Just, just, just let you know. 2016 mm. to Eternal, not even the same. Like, it's so, yeah, it's so hard, so hard. I, there are moments. I, I had to say this real quick. There are moments where I had to literally take a break physically because my my brain was like mentally like I was I was just like dead. I was like I can't I can't do this. I need to take a break. I need to step outside. <laughs> it was too much. Yep. Um, you got to know the loop. You got to know that combat yeah, loop. Yeah. And how to kill them to get what you need to. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's what it was. It was that loop that was just like, I was, I was like super zoned in. And I was like, at a certain point, I need to take a break from this because I'm doing a lot of switching and I'm, I'm using the wrong weapons and I'm getting killed. So, <laughs> well, we, we will uh, hopefully I'll get to see you guys in about a, a year uh, down in Dallas next year for QuakeCon and, uh, and meet you in person finally. For sure. Yeah. We'll bring our, we'll bring our dirty keyboards for you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'll grab you a, I don't know, a plaque or something. You can, <laughs> you can travel and throw down <laughs> and send one. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, All right. Um, uh, let me see here real quick. Light production, folks. Light production. Uh, don't blame me for this. <laughs> Just a second. We can edit this in post, so it's not a big deal. There we go. <laughs> Um, okay, so with that, thank you again for joining us, Pete. Uh, really, really appreciate it, you taking time out to hang with us. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. Remember to tune in next week at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the official NZXT Twitch channel and follow at NZXT on all relevant and, and relevant social media. And if you want, you can send an email to clubcast at nzxt.com if you want to ask us a question off the air and we'll answer it. Um, I'm getting a lot of spam on there. People want to like promote our SoundCloud. That's not really how it works when you have a podcast, but you know, sure, whatever. Uh, don't forget to listen to previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And also, if you can do us a super huge favor, biggest favor in the world, I'm going to turn this on for a second. Share the podcast with a friend or someone you don't like. Actually, I think it's better if you share it with an enemy because maybe they'll turn into a friend for turning you on to this amazing show. Think about that. All right, guys, with that, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Bye.